there. This is Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Ottawa, Canada, and you're listening to An Intelligent Look at Terrorism, which is a podcast that looks at various aspects of national security, intelligence, and, surprise, surprise, terrorism. You've probably been at an airport or in a large venue. Let's say you're waiting for your luggage at the arrivals hall, and all of a sudden there's a guy walks by with a dog on a leash. And you think, oh, that's interesting. Maybe he brought his dog on the flight. But this dog isn't uh, having a good time. This dog is actually working. And it's what we call, at least what I call, a a sniffer dog. It's a dog that is used by agencies such as the Canada Border Services Agency to detect, let's say, illegal drugs or things like that. And another really important job that these dogs do, of course, is that they're really, really good at sniffing out explosives, which of course is something that dog, that terrorists rather, uh, use an awful lot of. So this is a a kind of a good thing for man's best friend to do. I don't know anything about this at all, but I did find someone that I would like to introduce to you today. Uh, His name is Tom Abrahams. He is the owner of Black Tracks K9. He's a dog trainer in, 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 in Ontario, in Ontario, Canada, and he knows a lot about more about this than I do. So, Tom, uh, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Hi, Phil. Thanks so much uh, for having me on the uh, podcast. I appreciate it. Okay, let's go back to first principles, Tom. How did you get involved in this particular business in the first place? And by the way, is is sniffer dog the correct term, or am I making this stuff up? Well, you know, uh, sniffer dog is, uh, I guess, uh, a layman term. Uh, what it would be referred to is an explosive detection uh, dog is what it would be referred to or an EDD. Okay. And how did you get involved? So my actual, uh, my last job was at the uh, Toronto International uh, Airport uh, doing exactly what you said, uh, using a dog to, uh, to detect for uh, explosives. Um, but, you know, my story doesn't start there. My story goes way, 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 way back when. So depending on how you want to go about the interview, we can start from the beginning or I can just answer the questions you have for me. Let's go right back to day one, Tom, and how it is that you find yourself now in September of 2020 uh, training uh, these explosive detection dogs. I'm just going to your website now on the services that you offer. Uh, they're both for, for businesses and for families. So, yeah, let my listeners know how this started in the first place. Okay, awesome. So we're going to go uh, way back, uh, all the way back to uh, 1975. 1975 is uh, when uh, my parents, uh, who moved to Guelph, uh, had the uh, idea to buy a family dog, which happens to be a German Shepherd. And it also happens to be a farm three doors down from where I reside today. Uh, where they bought this dog from was a gentleman who had uh, emigrated from Germany, brought a couple of dogs over, had a litter of pups, and uh, lo and behold, long story short, my parents ended up uh, buying one of those puppies. However, this young pup uh, grew up and uh, became a, uh, a family member in more ways than one. Uh, he took his protection business very seriously, and uh, to make a long story short, uh, my dad ended up in uh, court, in civil court, because uh, the dog had uh, bit uh, uh, all but uh, one person that happened to be a uh, policeman's daughter, and uh, that dog ended up with the uh, with the local police force. 
but uh, that's when I fell in love with the breed and the dog, and uh, that's where my career started. Um, so that's uh, that's a little bit of background, uh, you know, on how I got introduced to the dog, so on and so forth. Um, from there, you know, I always pursued uh, dog training, especially uh, with German Shepherds. However, uh, in Canada, uh, unfortunately, there's nothing official for uh, canines as a civilian. Uh, in the sense, uh, unless you're a uh, police handler, there is really uh, nothing that anyone can do on an official level to become certified or to have their dog certified as a such uh, here in Canada. Uh, so I, uh, I continued uh, with, with my dog training and uh, uh, bought a dog for, for my family and uh, continued to train the dogs in hopes of uh, one day being able to use my dog on an official level. Um, I pursued uh, an RCMP officer about uh, 15 years ago who was the canine handler and his uh, itinerary was that of uh, our prime minister. So his job was, uh, well, what I thought was one of the coolest jobs in the world. He would uh, sweep the uh, hotels or meeting rooms wherever our prime minister at the time uh, would have a meeting to ensure that there were no bombs on board. Well, that's so cool. What a, what a great job. Yes, yes, yes. It was a great job. Uh, so anyways, I, uh, I pursued this gentleman to try and have a meeting with him and uh, to me it was a, a, an icon and a legend to, you know, sit down with... Uh, with with uh, with, uh, with a canine handler of that status, and uh, it took me two years, but uh, I uh, I finally got to it. And uh, we sat down, we met. Uh, I asked as many questions as possible, and um, yeah, from there, you know, he referred me to a couple of books I could read, and uh, so I did that, and uh, kept on my pursuit. So at any point, if you'd like to jump in and ask a question or whatever, please feel free to uh, to interject at any point. Sure. Well, I, you know, you, you get an A-plus a for persistence, if nothing else, Tom. And, you know, you mentioned German Shepherds. I owned a Shepherd as well many, many years ago when I first moved to Ottawa. They are an absolutely spectacular, beautiful breed of dog. And is there anything that you find um, in particular about German Shepherds that seem to be, I don't know if I call it the dog of choice that is used in this regard? I mean, can any dog become an explosive detection dog? So I guess that's a two-part uh, question. It's a great question. Uh, German Shepherds, the reason why Shepherds are used today and all over the world, and RCMP still uses exclusively German Shepherds, is a German Shepherd uh, scores high on the bar graph from A to Z. Uh, not only is he a good sniffer, he's also a courageous dog. Not only is he a courageous dog, he's a great tracker. Not only is he a great tracker, but uh, he's also a social dog. So... You know, you can get a dog that's just a great sniffer, period. But then on the bar graph for everything else, he doesn't score so high. Oh. On average, the German Shepherd scores very high on the entire uh, bar graph, if, uh, if you can kind of envision that. Interesting. So they're really, I mean, German Shepherds, I guess, like, we all, we all know that dogs have an amazing sense of smell. But German Shepherds, in addition to that, they have all the other attributes you already just talked about. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know... Uh, Going way back to World War One, so on and so forth, uh, the dogs were bred in Europe and uh, were used uh, exclusively uh, to fight wars and to find explosives. Uh, and, you know, uh, with that, uh, we continued that legacy uh, in North America and understood the, uh, the importance 
presence of dogs, and uh, the dogs have just never left uh, left the scene to date. So walk me through, Tom. You, you're given a dog to train. How do you actually train a dog who, again, you know, has this natural ability to smell things really well? How do you channel that dog's ability into being useful for us as humans in detecting explosives or drugs, or whatever? Like, what does the process look like? So basically, the process is, uh, you know, they're referred to as green dogs. Green dogs are dogs that have not been trained, but have the natural instincts that, uh, you know, normally police or military departments are looking for. So some of those instincts would be, uh, you know, the interest or the curiosity to find uh, an object or an article. So, you know, a couple of the basic tests that are done are uh, you would take a ball or a Kong and you hold the dog by your side and you would throw the ball or Kong into a bush and then you'd release the dog. And as long as the dog stays searching, he has what we refer to as a good hunt drive. Okay. So one of the key things that we're looking for um, the other that the other aspect that we're looking for are dogs who are uh, uh, socially neutral. When I say socially neutral, they shouldn't be scared of anything, yet they shouldn't be aggressive towards a large crowd of people. Uh, because the dogs, as you know, uh, you know, as police dogs enter schools and high schools, and they need to have a very good, uh, steady nerve base in order to uh, to pursue and be. Um, accomplished in the uh, in the tasks and jobs that they're asked to do because a lot of times you know if uh, if a dog is, is chasing a bad guy maybe through a warehouse maybe on slippery floors maybe in the dark we need to know way ahead of time that the dog is genetically good with all this stuff before we go into specific training wow this this is absolutely fascinating I, this is this is a completely new area for me tom given that you know, this podcast is uh, largely about counterterrorism and terrorism. Can you sort of walk us through the role you see that these dogs playing as as instruments of counterterrorism? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, counterterrorism, dogs have been used for so many years to, uh, to send bombs in airports and aerodromes and bus terminals and so on and so forth. And as you know, uh, you know, this is a much bigger problem in the United States, and that's why the uh, the states have used dogs and are currently using dogs. Uh, we have very sophisticated uh, machines, you know, referred to as uh, Saber 4000 machines uh, that detect um, um, vapes that come off, uh, you know, a live, uh, a live bomb. But even with those highly sophisticated machines, through all the testing that we've done, and uh, through the TSA, Transport Safety Authority, uh, the FBI, the RCMP, it's still known that dogs have a more acute sense and are able to pick up more minor amounts of explosives than any machine uh, can detect. So, you know, just the sheer fact that a dog is, uh, is, is available and uh, is, is a deterrent when people see a dog, that itself, you know, um, plays a real good role in, in you know, in uh, warding off uh, would-be uh, would bad, uh, bad guy terrorists. 
I think that's a really good point, right? You do see the law, the dog being let on a leash, whereas you wouldn't see the technology. It might be sitting in a room somewhere or whatever. And the point you also made, Tom, that despite the advances in artificial intelligence and technology is that even as of 2020, nothing beats a dog's nose and a dog's olfactory system for, for sniffing out bad things. That, that's such an interesting aspect to this. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, when uh, when I was uh, working with dogs at, uh, at the airport, there's certain terminals that, you know, we would be searching the dogs. And as they uh, exercise, the uh, the explosives would get hit without us knowing where the explosives were. And we were often told that it was, uh, you know, maybe it was uh, on on the counters or, you know, close to where uh, the, the ticket agent stands. So naturally, your human mind wants to check everything that the ticket agent would be standing or be used to. But sometimes we were thrown, uh, you know, a, a curveball, and the explosives would be hidden in a pillar close to uh, close to the ticket agent, as opposed to his actual boot or his/her boot. And uh, you know, the dogs never failed; they would pull us towards that that hole and. Uh, uh, give us a fit or an indication or whatever it was, and it was always amazing even to this day as a handler for 34 years how trusting a dog is to pick up that scent. So when the dog actually detects the substance that you're asking it to do, what is it trained to do at that point, Tom? Does it is it does it does it indicate it? Does it set walk us through what the dog has actually been trained to do to tell the handler, hey, guess what? I just found something. Right. So, you know, without getting too technical, there's uh, two basic indications that a dog will give you. One is referred to as an alert, and that's basically um, the handler recognizes that his dog's body movement has changed from his regular uh, movement. Maybe his tail starts wagging stronger. Maybe he, uh, he becomes much more keen on the area he's in. And the final indication is what we refer to as a silent indication. So being an explosive detection dog, not wanting to cause uh, chaos within a crowd of people, the dog is trained to either sit silently, lay down, or point. Pointing dogs are hunting dogs that normally point to flush out birds from the field. Right. So either three of these uh, indications are used uh, specific to explosive detection dogs. You mentioned sort of the role of the handler. So I'm going to assume, knowing nothing about this, that the relationship between the handler and the dog is critical. The handler will know, as you said, when the dog's behavior shifts. And that's the dog saying to the handler, hey, buddy, you know, you asked me to do this. Well, I'm telling you what's happening right now. So is it is it normal in this business, Tom, for uh, one handler to be paired with one dog? Or is the dog passed around or does a guy handle several dogs? What's the best practice in this regard? Yeah, so no, that's a great question, uh, Phil. So the best practice in this regard is um, is definitely one dog and one handler. However, being the commercial business, this isn't always uh, the ideal situation, uh, you know, especially when talking about security companies. Um, you know, it, it's sometimes unfortunate that uh, a handler has to be swapped out for whatever reason. But in order to get the best um, performance from your canine, it's best if you say that one handler and one dog stick together as long as possible. One, because you build a bond, and once you build a bond, you can trust your dog. And second, that handler gets to read the dog's specific body language and understand uh, what that dog is doing and how he's doing it. And third, the dog knows, 
exactly from the handler's movement what it is that the, that the, uh, that the handler expects the dog to do. Okay. Now, in a, in a perfect situation then, Tom, how long would this relationship last for? In other words, uh, what is the working life of a explosive detection dog? Is it is it is it a lot of years, or does is it does it get to a point where, as a dog ages, its ability decreases or becomes hard for the dog to do? What's what's the best case scenario there? Right. So you know, uh, a little bit different depending on uh, which part of the globe you point to, but typically in uh, North America, a dog generally stays in service for about five to seven years. However, you know, if the dog shows lack of interest, you know, in year three or year year four, the dog will be uh, pulled. And, you know, it should be noted that the dogs are tested on a regular monthly basis to make sure that they're up to snuff uh, and know their job inside and out. On a monthly basis. So you're basically, they have their performance appraisal every month then. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And that's, of course, logged and recorded. So... Uh, so that, uh, you know, these uh, recordings can be checked for various reasons. Wow. I, I'm glad that when I worked at CSIS, they weren't checking my performance every month. I'm not sure I would have been <laughs> up to speed. Without going into too many details that might be sensitive, Tom, can, can you give us an example of a case that you were worked on, that you worked on where there was a dog that you were handling and you end up succeeding in something really important like uh, a major bust or something like that? To be honest with you, I wish I had a uh, had a major quote unquote major bust uh, story to tell you. But uh, one that comes to mind is uh, I was once part of a um, a government rehab program where prisoners who were sentenced to uh, a federal sentence were given an opportunity to come out and uh, integrate within society. Uh, so they were placed in what I refer to as a halfway home. Right. However. Their time there was monitored. Everything that they said and did and went, you know, it was all obviously very detailed. So part of that was zero tolerance for drugs or alcohol. So uh, I was uh, there for my first search with uh, with a drug dog, and uh, I'm going to say about the fourth um, room in. Uh, the room was uh, as messy as a junkyard, and uh, my dog. Uh, went to an old, old hockey bag that was uh, filled with uh, uh, dirty clothes. And at the bottom of this bag was a Ziploc bag with a very, very, very old joint at the time. <laughs> and the dog indicated on that joint, which honestly really surprised me. And uh, unfortunately for that individual, you know, he uh, failed out the program. And uh, uh, as far as I know, he was sent back to uh, the federal uh, penitentiary. Well, I, I really feel for your dog because if, if that hockey bag is in like my hockey bag, uh, that that dog deserved every every treat in the world because my hockey bag really stinks. Uh, Tom, I I came across a story recently that really kind of caught my eye, and this was apparently the government over in Finland is uh, trying to use dogs to sniff out COVID nineteen, and I didn't quite understand what the article was saying. What would that mean for a dog to sniff out COVID nineteen? So it's, you know, I, I think a lot of times we, we complicate the dog world. Um, you know, dogs are very basic creatures and uh, they've had these uh, innate abilities that we as humans, because our, our, our thinking is so much higher on, on a level than, than anybody else that, you know, we seem to overcomplicate things. But 
basically put anything that has a whether it's a piece of furniture, a cell phone, or uh, or, or a person who's sick, a dog has the ability to distinguish that scent. As an example, you know, when you or me walk into McDonald's, we may scent two or three different things. We may smell, you know, the, the fries. We may sell, uh, smell, uh, you know, burgers. And maybe one other thing. When a dog walks into McDonald's, he smells 10 or 12 different scents all separately. So that's the beauty and that's the difference with, with the canine world is they have the ability to sense the different scents and vibrations and energies unlike human beings. Oh, that's so cool. What, what an interesting sort of twist on the use of a dog to help in a, you know, well, I would say obviously an emergency situation. It's not drugs and it's not explosives, but I mean, you know, COVID-19 is a pretty explosive thing as well. And to, to use dogs to further our ability to detect people before they can affect others is a really interesting, I think, adaptation for what is a very, very old uh, profession. As you said, it dates back to, uh, dates back decades. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. You know, one thing that uh, has been um, has been very, very, uh, I'm going to say a blessing to my life, uh, Bill, is the doors that, that dogs have uh, opened up for me. <laughs> one such blessing is... Um, you know, uh, about uh, 11 years ago, I was looking to, uh, to place a dog with the uh, Canadian Correctional Facility. And at the time, the uh, church that I was going to in Cambridge, a friend of mine worked at a, at a large uh, facility out in Godridge. And so I inquired of him and I said, listen, you know, you guys have uh, security, you have canines, you know, dogs can send out cell phones, drugs, weapons, so on and so forth. Would this be something that uh, the institution would be interested in? So he said, "Well, leave it with me. Let me uh, let me check and see, uh, you know, if they would be." And sure enough, he got back to me, and uh, he happened to be the the, the chaplain of the uh, institution. So he had arranged for me to come out there and uh, provide a what I refer to as a dog demonstration to not only his supervisors, but to the youth that were incarcerated uh, within the facility. So this was my first, uh, very first dog demonstration. Uh, I went out there, I was uh, nervous as all heck, there was about 225 people in the audience uh, watching me uh, do the the, uh, uh, disciplines with the dog. And anyways, you know, once I was done with all the disciplines, these young men who were incarcerated had uh, many, many questions for me. Without a word of lie, Phil, I thought that they were, they were all previous dog handlers because the questions were very, very uh, well thought out questions. Of course, they were uh, a lot of them were criminally based. You know, if I'm running through the, <laughs> lose my fence, so on and so forth. But without giving away too many great secrets, I was able to to connect with these young men, and I understood that. You know, I I thought to myself, you know, wow, these young guys would really would really make good dog handlers if they were ever given the opportunity. So anyway, long story short, uh, I, I drove home that day. Godridge is a bit of a drive from Guelph to Godridge, and uh, you know, I, I just within me, I really resonated with those young people. When I called back to see if you know they'd be interested in uh, putting a dog into their program, they said, "Well, it's not part of the budget this year, Tom, but the young guys are still talking about your dog and the <laughs> performance, and they'd like you to come back on a voluntary basis and do some mentoring with with your dog." Again, long story short, uh, that was about uh, maybe 11 to 13 years ago. And to this day, we visit uh, dogs that are being trained for various disciplines. 
uh, to these jails with these young men. And what we're trying to do is uh, spark some initiative on their part and give them some hope and let them know that, you know what, uh, they have a lot of talent and gifts. It's just uh, sometimes not always using the right channel. And once uh, they put it to use, then, uh, you know, good things will, will come of that. Oh, that, that is really a very heartwarming story. I'm glad you re- you shared that one, Tom. It reminds me, you know, that we often use, uh, you know, dogs are often seen as companions for older people uh, who are alone. And it's amazing what a dog can bring to a person's life. And in your case, it showed that maybe there's some hope for people who'd gone astray, you know, broken the law, and and, and as a result had to be incarcerated for a bit. So that, that's that's a great story. I, I'm so, so glad you thought of that when I asked you the question. Right, right. No, now, you know, initially, uh, to me, the outcome was not positive because I was there on business reasons to, you know, get this program going and possibly sell the uh, institution three or four dogs. But looking back at it, uh, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way because not only has it been, uh, you know, uh, I'm hoping an inspiration to these young men, it's definitely been a, a, a blessing to, uh, to me and my family to, uh, to do that volunteer work. Oh, that's great. Listen, Tom, I want to give you the chance to let my listeners know uh, how they can get a hold of you if they're interested in, in dog training or learning more about your business. So uh, feel free to give me give my listeners as much information as they can on how to get a hold of you. Sure. So, you know, Phil, we've, uh, we run a business and it's referred to as Black Tracks Canine. Uh, so anybody can look that up. It's uh, blacktrackscanine.ca. And um, what we do is we have uh, we have two divisions within our business. One, we train dogs for uh, government and uh, government entities, whether it's uh, the police department or search and rescue. And secondly, something that we've started in the past five or seven years is selling dogs to individuals who are looking for a family protection dog, a dog that is good with kids, social, and yet gives them that uh, sense of protection. Uh, you know, for their home, and um, much to my surprise, you know, that is uh, is a world on its own. And uh, I've met some very, very interesting people uh, today in regards to personal family protection dogs. So again, I thank you for the plug, and it's uh, Black Tracks Canine is the name of my business. Well, I'm certainly going to put links to your website and to your Facebook page, Tom. Listen, this has been an absolutely delight hearing from you. Uh, it's a very inspiring story. And uh, I always thought I had the coolest job working in intelligence for 30 years. I think you may have just taught me in terms of an interesting career. So uh, listen, Tom, thank you very much for taking the time to come on the podcast and sharing your information about what might some might say is a bit of a peripheral look at terrorism. But as you said, <clears throat> dogs have done an incredible job at helping law enforcement and the military uh, do their jobs better. So I'm really glad you took the time to come on, Tom. Thanks so much for the opportunity. I certainly had had a great time, and uh, thank you uh, for uh, allowing me to uh, speak my part. My pleasure. So that was my talk with Tom Abrahams from K9 Training. What do you think? I'd love to hear what you thought of this podcast. A little bit off the beaten beaten path from what I normally do, but give me your feedback. You can reach me on email borealisrisk at gmail.com or on Twitter at Borealis Saves. You'll also find me on Facebook and on LinkedIn. If you like the content and want to receive more, go to my website, BorealisThreatenedRisk.com. Hit the subscribe button, provide your email address. You'll get a free daily access to all the podcasts, blogs, etc. in the form of an email to your inbox every single morning. Love to hear what you thought of this podcast or others. 
maybe some ideas for future, for future ones. I'll talk to you again soon. Until then, stay safe.